chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, and his name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devoted. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit, into the temple, and when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there is a prophetess, Anna, the son of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is a word of the Lord. You may be seated. You know, fun little story about uh, Rip and I. We were both on the same flight last night coming back from Chicago. And uh, we didn't, uh, didn't know that until we got to the airport. But you know a man's character when you come up and you surprise him in an airport by punching him in the arm and he doesn't swing at you. So uh, <laughs> I think I scared Rip to death, but, uh, but he did not take a swing at me. So thanks, Rip, for that. So, um, But you know... Uh, yesterday something happened as we were as we were traveling uh, early in the morning my daughter Cece she she came to me we were out all day and then and then we got in the plane late at night and we were flying back and um, while we were leaving early in the day to go out and about um, Cece asked me she said she said hey dad can I can I get on your phone and, and look at some pictures, uh, you know, to just kind of eat up some time as we were waiting for something. And I told her the classic words that parents, you know, will, will say, you know, uh, I said, you know, not right now, because I knew how the day was going to unfold. I knew we'd be traveling all day long, going all over the place. I said, but you can look at my phone later. Well, she's a smart girl. She's a smart girl. And so uh, a little bit later, we got to our next event that we were going to, and, and uh, everybody was just kind of standing around, milling around, and uh, Cece comes up to me. This is about two hours, right, since she first asked me. And she said, uh, hey, Dad, can I, you know, go on your phone now and, and look, at, look at some pictures? And, and she said, because, you know, it's later, right? <clears throat> and uh, I said, I said, 
you know, thank you for asking. Um, and I know that I said that I would let you look at the phone, you know, later. But, but later is a long period of time, right? Like, because in my mind, it would be traveling all day. And so I wanted to, you know, peace out when she could actually look at the phone when it would actually matter. And so I tried explaining that to her. And she said to me, though, but dad, you said I could look at the phone what? Later. Because in a child's mind, when you tell them, hey, listen, I'm going to do this for you, but it's going to be later. Um, they don't have in their mind what you have in mind, right? Uh, their idea of time is vastly different than your idea of time. Two hours is later. Uh, in my mind, I was thinking seven hours later when we were on the plane, okay? Like, that's what, that's what I was thinking. And, and so, she, so we had that, that moment, and I, and I thought about that as I was this week, you know, going back over the message and, and thinking about the text where we find ourselves today. If you were with us last week, we're in the Gospel of Luke, and we're in Luke chapter 2. And last week, we were introduced to a man that God had made a promise to, a promise that before he died, he would experience something. Very similar to my Cece, God had told him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you experience something, but it's going to be what? It's later. And I just, I wonder in my mind, how long did he have to actually wait? And so if you were with us last week, we were introduced to a man by the name of Simeon. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I kind of have a little recap for you about this man named uh, Simeon. And in our text last week, if, if you were with us and you heard it even read this morning, there were a number of things that, that we learned about this man, Simeon. And the reason why we're being introduced to him is because of what's going to come in today's text, because he's a man who's going to serve to give testimony about Jesus. But before we ever hear that testimony, we learned last week three really important things about Simeon. The first thing that we learned about him was that he was righteous and devout. Now, hearing this about Simeon, something that we focused on last week was how important it is to understand that when things are declared about someone in the scriptures, and then we hear the same things later on in the scriptures declared about us today, that, that it's important to understand terms. And when it says that Simeon was a man who was righteous, it doesn't mean that he had done things in order to be right with God, but that God had declared him right. And that anyone who is righteous is righteous because God imparts to them, gives to them the righteousness of, of Jesus Christ. And we said Simeon was a man who had a forward-looking faith, to the promise of God being fulfilled. And we have a what? We have a backwards looking faith. But what the scriptures are always clear on is that if you are righteous before the Lord, if, if he gives to you his righteousness, then you're somebody who lives it out. And so Simeon was a man who was righteous and he was devout. That means he was faithful to obey the things that God had called him to do. That's the pattern in scripture. If God has saved you, if he's made you righteous, I love the story that Tony just shared with, with the kids. None of us can stand before God righteous. None of us can be accepted by God unless, unless Christ intercedes on our behalf. But, but when he intercedes on your behalf, when you're made righteous in him, you look to live it out. And so Simeon was a man who was living out the righteousness that he had. The other thing that we learned about him was that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when somebody was filled with the Holy Spirit before the coming of Jesus, well, that meant that God was going to empower them to do things. And, and in our case today, the thing that God is empowering Simeon to do is ultimately speak a word of testimony about Jesus for you and for me. But then it was this last thing that I loved so much that we learned, and that was he was promised to see the Messiah before he died. Oh man, the people of God had longed for so many years. When is the Messiah going to come? When is the deliverer, the redeemer 
for the people of God? When is he going to enter in and rescue and redeem us? And by the way, the people of God back then, some of them understood the depths of their sin, like Simeon, like Anna, like Zechariah, like Elizabeth, like Mary, like Joseph. There were those who understood that the redemption that they really needed, the rescue that they needed, was from the wrath of God against them because of their sin. And so many people were longing for a Messiah to seal the fulfillment of that promise. But there were a lot of people in Jerusalem, there were a lot of people in Israel in that day who were waiting for a different kind of Redeemer, a different kind of Savior. The Romans were occupying Israel at that time, and so what they were thinking was that when the Messiah came, he would be the one who would establish a kingdom, and he would cast off all those pagans, all those Gentiles, and Israel would reign, and, and Israel would rule, and it would have prominence once again. And so, no doubt, there were people like Simeon, but hey, let's, let's remember, as we're going through the Gospel of Luke, there were others who thought the Messiah would be somebody totally different. Now, for, for Simeon, though, we know that he was longing for for this Messiah. And so that's why I shared that story about Cece and she was, she was asking, hey, can I, you know, can I look at your phone? And I said, later, because Simeon was a guy who had been told by God, Simeon, you're going to get to see something that people for generations have longed to see and you're going to see it before you, you die. Well, today, now we get to see that after whatever length of time, the Bible doesn't say, Simeon finally gets to see this promise of God fulfilled. So here we're going to pick it up in chapter 2, starting in verse 27. We read <clears throat> these words. It comes and it says, And he, that is Simeon, came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child of Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Luke's text is abundantly clear. We see here by supernatural means on one particular day, God led Simeon to the temple in Jerusalem. Now, we know from the context and what's going to come next that the day that he led Simeon into the temple was the exact same day that Joseph and Mary, 40 days after the birth of Jesus, had traveled from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to make sacrifices at the same temple for the purification of Mary and for the dedication of Jesus. Now, I've been waiting to talk a little bit about this for the last two weeks. And, 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 I, and I think this is so, so important. So we're finally going to talk about it. This coming to the temple, church family, this engaging in temple worship, Joseph and Mary doing it, Simeon doing it, like it's hard for us as Americans and as Westerners to, even as, even as Christians today, we, we come to church, but, but the place that the temple held for the Jewish people in that day. When you came to the temple, it was such a significant thing. First off, it was a monumental structure. And God designed it that way because it was the place where when you went to it as a people of God, you performed sacrifices for the forgiveness of your sins. It was the place you went to remind yourself that you were a sinner in need of redemption. It was a place that you went to remind yourself that you are human and God is divine. That you are human and, and he is is other. It was a place where the people of God came together. It was a place where you went with your family and you saw others who, who were like you, who, who put their hope and their, and their trust on in what God would do. And so Simeon was going to this temple one day, and it was the same day that Mary and Joseph were coming to the temple. Now, I want to show you uh, some pictures here of the temple again, because I, I just want us to get our minds around this just a little bit. Uh, here, here's, 
here's a little bit to the scale and the size of what the, what the temple looked like in their day. This is a, this is a, a drawing that has been made of it. And I'm going to use my, 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 my little pointer that I get every so often to, to bust out. The, the temple had a couple of different places. Um, this right here, this outside portion, you see this wall that runs all along it? This is what's important. That, that wall separated the court of the Gentiles from the place where the Jewish people could come to worship God. Now, pay attention to this. If you were a Gentile, you could only come here. If you came in here, it would be almost certain death. But now it was divided up in sections. So if you were a Gentile, like you or I most likely, you could come out here. Women could, could ultimately, uh, I'm sorry, this was, this is, uh, yeah, this is where the, the women could ultimately come. Nope, let me check that one more time. This is where the Gentiles come. This is where the women could come. And then this is where the sacrifices were, were ultimately made. And so there was these divisions that were in the temple structure. And this was a holy place. This is the place where ultimately only the, the high priests could go to worship. So there was division when you came to, to worship God, but it was a monumental structure. So when we have Joseph and Mary coming, let me show you the next slide for a minute here. Here we have the, the court of the Gentiles. This is another representation of it. Um, Joseph and Mary, they would have come into this place to ultimately worship and to make their sacrifice. And, and if you went to the temple on any given day of the week, there would be all of these people gathered together. See, there's not a lot of people in this picture and the other one, obviously. But it was a massive gathering place. And so, so Mary and Joseph, they come up and they go to make sacrifices to God in this place. And there's all these people around. And the text tells us this, that Simeon came on this particular day into the temple. And look at verse 27. And it says, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his, what? Arms. By supernatural means, Simeon was brought into the temple. But then by supernatural means, Simeon was able to identify among all the people that were there that day that Mary and Joseph and the baby they held was the one that Simeon had been promised to see. Like, and the reason why I say it was by supernatural means is because if you saw Joseph and Mary, we've already talked about this, they would have looked like any other young couple bringing in their child. Children were being dedicated all the time in the temple. Sacrifices were being made for women after the time of their, after the time of the delivery of their child. There was nothing special about them except for the fact that God let Simeon know who you're looking at is the one that I promised you. And he goes right up to him. And this is what I found. Listen, the text doesn't say what their exchange looked like. He just went up, it says, and he took the child in his arms. Now, for those of you that have babies or have had babies and you're a mom, how would you feel if somebody just walked right up to you and said, oh, let me just take your child, right? You know, and, and you'd be like, whoa, whoa, simmer down. Like, you know, I don't even know you. Let me get a background check here, right? He just comes up, the text says, and takes the child in his arms. Now, from Barry and Joseph's perspective, listen, they've had a lot of spectacular things already happen, right? Shepherds coming, saying that angels have appeared. They've had angels visit them. They're probably used to things a little bit out of the ordinary, but he takes a child up in his arms. Now, I just told you, Simeon knows that the child that he takes in his arms is the promised Messiah. Okay. Again, this is where my mind goes. Can you imagine you've waited all this time to be able to behold the Redeemer of God's people, and then you see him, and then you take him from his mother. 
Now, my first thought is going to be, what do you think? Don't drop them, all right? <laughs> like, even when you hold a, a, listen, all your babies are great, but if I'm holding the savior of the world, right? I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to drop a regular baby, let alone the son of God come in flesh. But we can tell that's not what he's worried about. That's not what he's thinking about because we're told what his first thought is. We know what it is. Look at verse 29. He speaks with the baby in his arms. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother, they what church? marveled at what was said about him. With these words, Simeon joins a chorus of people who have already spoken in Luke's gospel. I told you that Simeon and his role in this story is ultimately to serve as a testifier about Jesus Christ. And what we see him doing in this proclamation is affirming the testimony about the person and work of Jesus that has been said already multiple times. First, it was the angel Gabriel who spoke words similar to this when Mary first conceived. It was Elizabeth who then spoke by the Holy Spirit the similar words about Jesus after he was conceived. It was the shepherds who then came to Mary and spoke words like this on the day of Jesus' birth and now here on the day of his dedication. Simeon comes and he says, I want you to know who your son is, who this one is. Simeon here is giving us a powerful testimony to Jesus. Now, what is it that he says about him? Well, the first thing is right there in verse 29. And it's actually more a broad testimony about the character and nature of God. Do you see verse 29? He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. What's Simeon talking about here? What was the word that God had given to Simeon? The word that he had given to him was, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And so he knows he knows that he's holding the Messiah. And so, he, so what he's doing here is the testimony that he gives is that God keeps his promises. That's the first testimony that he wants us to, to hear. He told Simeon he wasn't going to die until he saw the Messiah. And so here Simeon proclaims what he does because he knows that God's kept his promise. Simeon knows that he can die because Jesus the Messiah has come. It is this baby and Jesus has come because God has kept his what? promise. I'm going to deliver my Messiah. You're going to see him, Simeon. And then when Simeon is holding the baby, he knows the promise of God has been kept. And by the way, I would venture to say that Simeon was probably pretty old at this point. And the reason why I say he's probably pretty old is if he was telling God that it was good and it was time for him to go, notice what he says, and now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Like if I'm a 25-year-old young man, I'm not going to be saying that at that point probably. I'm going to be like, hey, I saw the Messiah, but you know, maybe I could see how this thing unfolds, right? But he's like, no, let me depart now. I can depart in peace. He seems to have lived a long and full life. But do you notice, this isn't just Simeon experiencing that God kept his promise for Simeon. Verse 30 says it. God has kept his promise to all people. 
Verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have what? Prepared in the presence of all people. Simeon knew the word of God. He knew the promises of God. He knew the promise to Abraham. He knew the promise to David. He knew the promise through the prophets. He knew that the Messiah wasn't just Simeon's own personal Messiah. He knew that God had promised to send a Messiah for all people. And here, right here, church, Simeon is saying to us, God, you've kept your promise to Adam and Eve. You kept your promise to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to the prophets. You said you would bring a deliverer and he has come into the world. This Christmas season, one of the songs we sing is a song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom Captive Israel, who mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Israel knew, as they said from the beginning, that a Messiah would come to redeem. And they had waited, and they had waited. You see, that that statement that they knew God would send a Messiah was because God had made a promise. And what Simeon says right here, he says, look, verse 31, I have seen your salvation. He's here. You have prepared him in the presence of, of all people. How long they had waited for a deliverer. How long Simeon had waited. <laughs> How much later had it been for Simeon? We don't know, but we know it had been hundreds and thousands of years that the people of God had waited for the Redeemer to come. And so God has kept his promise. I love 1 Corinthians 1.9. It's a simple verse. If you don't know it or memorize it, I think it would be worthwhile to mark it down. God is faithful. By the way, can we just stop there? Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The testimony of the word of God is that when God says he's going to do something, he does it. I'm just pausing here in this simple little story. We're seeing a promise fulfilled to Simeon, but church, God doesn't just fulfill promises to Simeon. God fulfills promises to his people. He keeps his promises. That is huge. So I want to ask you a question. If God keeps his promises, promises, then we can trust him. If God keeps his promises, then there is always hope. See, do you know God keeps his promises? Let me just ask it one more time. Do you know that God keeps his promises? Yes. We just saw it in his word. Here's now my next question. Do you know the promises of God? See, it's one thing to know that God keeps his promises, but do you know God's promises? Because some of them have been fulfilled and some of them have not yet been fulfilled. And see, if we know the ones that he has fulfilled, that then, then that really changes us. If we know the ones that he hasn't yet fulfilled, then we have, guess what? Hope. But if you don't know the promises of God, then you don't know what he has given you today and you don't know what is still yet in store. And if you don't know what is still yet in store, you can live today as that, well, as this is all that there is. But there is more for us to come. There, there is, as we're going to see in a moment, there is an eternity yet before us. When Paul puts it 
in this way, I always come back to, he says, this slight and momentary affliction that you're experiencing, the, the difficulties of this life, the, the trials, the temptation, that they're storing up for you a weight of glory that is yet to be revealed. There is so much goodness still for us. I mean, when you think about the goodness that we have today because God kept his promises, I won't stop saying it till I'm buried in the ground that you've been freed from sin's power over you, that you have been given a new life in Jesus Christ. Like that's what you're experiencing today and yet there is more, even better still to come. Amen. I mean, I mean, do you know his promises? I love what Charles Spurgeon said. We're gonna take a moment and hear this because he's really good at what he says in this. <laughs> he says, the promises of God are to the believer an inexhaustible mine of wealth Happy is it for him if he knows how to search out their secret veins and enrich himself with their hidden treasures. The promises of God, he says, are hidden treasures. He goes on. They are an armory containing all manner of offensive and defensive weapons. Blessed is he who has learned to enter into the sacred... This guy's brilliant. Sacred arsenal. You have this arsenal to put on the breastplate and the helmet and to lay his hand to the spear and to the sword. But they are also a pharmacy in which the believer will find all manner of restoratives and blessed elixirs. Blessed is he who is well skilled in heavenly pharmacy and knows how to lay hold on the healing virtues of the promises of God. They called him the prince of preachers and I get why. <laughs> Do you know the promises of God? Simeon knew the promises of God as it pertained to the Messiah, but the promises for us, they are many and they are beautiful. And if God is a God who keeps his promises, then praise the Lord that we have this great hope in them. I want you so desperately. It's why one of the core values of the church is not that we just gather for worship, but we grow in our knowledge and application of the gospel because the more you know of God, the more you know of his, of his promises, the greater hope and confidence and peace and joy and love you have in this present life. May we know the promises because we know the God who fulfills them. <clears throat> but his testimony is not just on God keeps his promises. Now look at Simeon's <clears throat> proclamation. We see him giving testimony not only to, to God keeping his promises, but we see him giving specific testimony who, to who Jesus is as the fulfiller of God's promises. One of the things that Luke does from the beginning of his gospel in chapters one and two is lay the foundation as far as the identity of Jesus. And Simeon is just one more person who gives testimony to this. There's a game that we play in our house at times. Uh, this is one of the versions of it. It has a question mark on it. Anybody have an idea what this game is called? Guess who? Very good. You've probably played it with your children. It's a simple game. It's not that very hard. Each player picks a card that has a face on it. And the aim of the game is to guess who your opponent has picked as a player up, up here. And so you ask each other questions. Does your person have brown hair or blonde hair, blue eyes? Is it a boy? Is it, is it a girl? And you're trying to guess the identity of the other person. The first person to guess the identity of the other person's person, that they, they win the game. You know, there are people in the world today who when they talk about Jesus, pretend as though it's still a game of guess who. Who was Jesus really? I, I mean, wasn't he just a teacher? Did he even really exist? Was, was he the Messiah? Church, when you read Luke's gospel, he does everything in his historical power to come, inspired by God, to say, we're not playing a game of guess who with Jesus. 
Do, do you think you know who he is? What he's come to do? He lays out for us time and time again Jesus and who he is in great clarity and in great power. And it's said right here again by Simeon in the text. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the people. This one is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The baby is the salvation of the lost. The baby is the light come into the world. This is the Messiah. There's no guess who with Jesus. Zechariah said it. Elizabeth said it, Mary said it, the angel said it, the shepherds say it, and now Simeon comes and says it. And what does he say to us? Jesus is God's appointed mean for our salvation. This is who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, the Redeemer. Come down. My eyes have seen your salvation. Why does this statement matter? Why does Simeon's testimony matter for us? There are people in the world today, and there were even people that, that back then, that had this idea that in order to have a relationship with, with God, there are many ways to get to God. There's a universalism that exists. How can there just be one way to salvation? How can there just be one way to restoration and, and wholeness? People in our world say this today. The answer to that is, yes, there is only one way. Jesus is God's appointed means of our salvation. When the angel came to the shepherds, the angel said it just a few verses before. Fear not, humanity, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the identity of Jesus. He is your salvation. Listen, the first disciples of Jesus, they knew that this is exactly who Jesus was. Peter preached it in Acts 4.12. He said to the crowds gathered, in Jerusalem at the temple, he said, and there is salvation in no one else. Church, Peter says, and there is salvation in no one else. What does that mean exactly? There is salvation what? In no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. This idea of universalism, this idea of many ways to God, it is not the message that God has for the world, Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation. I've shared this story in the past of, uh, of a man who was preparing for a storm that was coming. And as the storm came, they said, evacuate, leave your home. And the man didn't leave. And the storm waters began to rise. You, you might remember this story. And and the sheriffs came to him in a car and they said, sir, we need you to go. And he says, no, I'm going to stay. I'm praying that God will save me. He's going to save me. And they said, we need you to go. And the storm waters rose. Eventually, those same sheriffs came by in a boat and they said, sir, please, the water's rising. We don't know what's going to happen. You're going to drown. Come get in the boat. No, my God is going to save me. I've been praying to God. He's going to save me. The waters rose and he eventually had to get out on his roof. Waters were rising and they came with a helicopter and they said, sir, please get in the helicopter with us. You know, you're gonna drown. And he said, no, my God, I've prayed to him. He is going to save me. Eventually the waters rose and the man drowned and he died. And he got into heaven and he stood before God and he said, God, 
how could you do this? I died. I prayed that you would rescue me. And he said, I sent the sheriff in a car. I sent the sheriff in a boat. And I sent the sheriff in a helicopter. What more were you looking for? There are people in the world that function that way with regards to religion. They say there's, there's many ways to get to God. God says there's only one way. It's through my son, Jesus Christ. Now, church, I don't know. I missed this. I didn't copy this into your notes, but it's actually a main point. I don't know how I missed not putting it in the insert, so you're going to have to write this down. Are you ready? Salvation of the sinner is accomplished by an act of God, not man. Jesus is God's appointed means of salvation, but let's also be clear what he says here in the text when he's giving testimony about Jesus, that salvation of the sinner is accomplished by an act of God and not by man. Can I get an amen to that? Do you see it right there actually in the text? He says in verse 30 again, he says, For my eyes have seen whose salvation? Your salvation. It means that you're the, the one who is generating it. For my eyes have seen your salvation, verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. There's never been one moment in all of human history where God came and said, you can save yourselves by the things that you do. Salvation of a lost sinner, which is every single one of us here, is only possible and can only be accomplished by an act of God. This matters for us. This is something that we believe as a church. If you've been around the church for any period of time, this shouldn't surprise you. But we hold this and we believe this to be true because this is what God's word proclaims. There were people, even Jews, who believed that salvation was possible by an act or acts that we do, that we could live a righteous enough life in order to get to God. In fact, there was that story, I love it so much, we're going to see it in Luke 18, of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what good deed must I do in order to inherit eternal life? And the man quickly learns through the questioning of Jesus that he can't do it. And the disciples look at Jesus after the rich man walks away knowing that he can't fulfill the law perfectly and they say, who then can be saved? And church, mark this down, Luke 18, 26. Those who heard this said, then who can be saved? But he said, that is Jesus, what is impossible with man is what? Possible with God. You see, yeah, you can't save yourself. All Simeon is doing here is saying what God has always said. You can't accomplish your own salvation. Only I can do it. When we were in the book of Ephesians, chapter one, we went through and we looked at Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoptions as sons, as, as daughters. It's the work that God does in order to save and to redeem lost souls. Praise the Lord that he does the work, and it's not on us. Because who then could be saved? Now, some of you are like, Dave, like, this is old school news, man. I know this. Let's move on to deeper, better things, to which I say, if we don't keep this before us, if we don't understand deeply in our hearts and minds that every single day, our very breaths and our very salvation is contingent upon God's, God's grace, church, we can subtly begin to have pride. If you really believe and understand the gospel that Simeon is proclaiming here and that God's word proclaims, Christians should be the most humble of all people in the world. And you might say, well, yeah, of course, I'm the most humble person I know. Listen, no, no, that's not how it works, okay? <laughs> no, 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 no. 
I'm talking about if it's all of the grace of God, oh man, who am I? Who are you? There's no room for pride in my life. There's no room for pride in your life. And if you truly believe this, if you've really accepted this as, as that God, you are the only one who can save me, then let me, let me release a burden on some of you today, especially around the Christmas season when you might be around relatives and friends. Let me relieve you of a burden. If you believe this to be true, stop trying to be other people's saviors. If God is the only one who can save and redeem, what we can do is we can present to them the beauty of the Savior named Jesus Christ, but we cannot save them. Our responsibility is just to be faithful witnesses as we're gonna see with Anna at some point here in this message. But, <clears throat> but, I'm, but I'm here to tell you, what a, what a burden and a relief that we stay humble before the Lord because he does it all. And then it, we stay humble before other people. Some of you are carrying a burden in your life because you're trying to change somebody. Let me just ask, how's that going? God is the one who changes us. We rest on him. If I can't be my own savior, I sure can't be somebody else's, but I can point my heart and that person to the one who saves my soul. And then this is the beautiful testimony. It's not just that He's God's appointed means of salvation. It's not just that God accomplishes. The next and final testimony that he gives here is this. Salvation through Jesus Christ is available to anyone. Do you see how the salvation that God offers is available to anyone? Look at what he says. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of how many people? All peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The beauty of Jesus Christ's coming is that there's this clear message that salvation is for all people. It's not just for the Jew, but it's also for the Gentile. And guess what, church? It's always been that way. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He says to the angel, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for just the Jews. Is that what he says? Bring for all people. Church, God was never about just the salvation of the Jewish people. They were to be a light to the nations. In fact, I got a couple of these verses. I'm, I'm going to go to Isaiah 42, 6 first. Through the prophet Isaiah, before the coming of Jesus, he said, I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the what? Nations. Isaiah 49, 6. It is, is it too light of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation shall reach to the what? End of the earth. The coming of the Messiah means this clarifying message for Jew and Gentile. Jesus and the salvation that he brings is for all people. And what makes it so beautiful for us, even today, is that not only can any of us get into God's family, but God's family is diverse. God's family is diverse. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation are part of the family of God. It's always been his plan to restore humanity back to himself through his son. Sadly, Jesus' disciples were a little slow in getting this at first. <laughs> In fact, we see Peter needing an, a nudge in this direction in, in Acts 10, but eventually they get it. And we see Paul going to the ends of the earth. We see it that, that Paul would write to the Colossian church in Colossians 3.11. Here, 
that is in the people of God, the salvation that's offered. There's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and is in what? All. Do you know and believe that salvation is for all people, that Jesus Christ comes to redeem people from every tribe, tongue, and nation? Remember how I said that there are promises of God that are not yet fully fulfilled but are still yet to come? One of those is found in Revelation 7-9. In Revelation 7-9, there's a beautiful day yet to come where John sees in his revelation, he says, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes. Who's clothed in the white robes? People from all tribes and nations. The family of God is diverse because it is a representation of humanity. And so why does this matter? Well, because Jesus Christ did not come for one type of person. He came for all people to make a new people. Jesus Christ did not come for one type of person. He came for all people to make a new people. This is what Jesus Christ, and this is being proclaimed by Simeon before Jesus even starts his ministry. With Jesus, it's not a game of guess who. Who is he? What's he going to come to do? It's spelled out before he even says a word. The first two chapters of Luke's gospel is trying to bring us in on this. Church, because this is true, this is why racism and classism has no place in the people of God. Can I get an amen to that? Like that should be the furthest thing from our minds. In different cultures, we'll have expressions of how we practice and work out this beautiful faith that God has given us. But the church is to welcome in people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It just it cannot be tolerated in, in the people of God. It also means to us, listen, we are not citizens of America, citizens of Mexico, citizens of Canada, citizens of fill out whatever it is first. We are citizens of God's kingdom. God has blessed us to live wherever he has blessed us to live, but when you are adopted into his family, your citizenship is with him. And we live out what it looks like to live as citizens of the true king wherever he leads us for the betterment of the places where we live. Are you tracking with me on that? See, these small truths, if you don't know these theological truths, you can't process, well, how do I respond to these things? How do I respond to cultural differences between us? Listen, if, if they're part of God's people and you're part of God's people, you're one and the same. God came to make one new people, not to segregate us. This is the beauty that is being proclaimed. But here's where I need to start landing the plane on this. This could actually have been four. I told you, I was supposed to do this in one message originally, and now it's been three. I want to make it four, but I'm not going to. Here we go. We're going to land the plane. And I want to land it by saying this. One of the things that Simeon makes clear to us today is you can't play around with Jesus. He's either your Lord and Savior or he's not, because look at what he says next. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child... You know, we sing that song, what child is this who laid to rest in Mary's lap is sleeping? You know that song? Maybe it doesn't sound that good, but you know, okay? 
Listen, 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 listen. We, we sing that, that, you know, who angels treat with anthems. You know, it's a sweet song. This is it. This is what he says. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, Mary, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I just want him to be my precious little baby. <laughs> and this is why we have to take Jesus seriously. Because who you understand Jesus to be, do you see what Simeon says? Yes, he's God's appointed mean for salvation. Yes, salvation is only accomplished by God. But what Jesus is gonna do is he's gonna call, cause the fall and the rising of many. How people respond to Jesus will determine their eternal destination and their eternal future. In fact, it's gonna get so bad, Mary, that one day what's gonna happen to him is gonna, as your own mother of this child, it's gonna pierce your own soul because of what people are gonna do. Uh, I wish I had time to get into it. What he's really doing here is he's quoting Isaiah 8, 13 through 15 as in talking about when the Messiah came, how people would engage him. But church, here, here's the deal. John would eventually pick up on this in his gospel and he said, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. What's being said there is, being, is what Simeon says here. If you don't accept Jesus as God's appointed mean of salvation, well, let me just put this right. Rejection of Jesus leads to death. Acceptance of Jesus leads to life. Who's Jesus? I wonder who he is. Does he have brown hair, blue eyes? What is he? You know? No, the, the, the statement is clear. He is the savior of the world. He changes everything. And if you accept him, it leads you to life. If you reject him, it leads you to death believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you will be saved. This is the proclamation that is made. So who do you understand would be? Who, how do you live in life? Remember, if you understand these truths, it makes us humble. It makes us the people who accept one another. But, but then, if you know this testimony, and this is where I'm going to close, there's this one final testi testifier, and I'm sorry that she's getting the short end of the stick on this one, but, but, but she, she doesn't say a word but she's there that day and she sees everything that's happening and she shows us how you are to respond to a message like this. Look at verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. What's up with all these old people in Luke, right? But this is, but this is listen, if you're old, you still got work to do because the old people are doing a lot of great things in Luke's gospel, all right? They're giving birth, they're making testimony, not the giving birth part, right? She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. A widow a long time. And then so she comes into the story, and this is the only place that she's ever mentioned, and we, we learned three quick things about her. We learned that she was a prophetess, that means that she was used by God. She was somebody who was giving testimony. Um, that's what a prophet did. They spoke the words of God to, to people. She was a widow and she was a faithful worshiper because she did not depart from the temple worshiping and fasting and praying night and day. And so she's there in the temple while all of this is happening. And Simeon makes his proclamation about who Jesus is and, and what he came to do. And then look at what Anna's response is to hearing all of this, to seeing Jesus Verse 38, and again, coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him and to speak of him to all who were waiting for what? The redemption of Israel. Anna, 
This, this woman who had been so faithful in serving the Lord, like Simeon. Simeon was allowed to see the Messiah, and then by supernatural means, Anna's able to understand that Jesus is that Messiah, and she shows us the only right and good response to it. The only good and right response to knowing who Jesus is, is that she goes and tells. When Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you go and you tell others. That's what Anna does when she hears the message. You don't keep it to yourself. You understand that he's the only means for your salvation, but for the salvation of the world. And so this woman faithfully then goes out and she says, hey, you've been waiting for redemption. You've been waiting for the Messiah. He's here. He is here and he has come. He's come for us, this Jesus. He's the hope of all mankind. Do you know him today as your hope? And if you do, are you living as though he is? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word is rich beyond measure. Lord, we can't just scratch the surface of its depth and the connections that you have for us in this word. Lord, I thank you that we are not a people who have to guess at the identity of who Jesus Christ is. Lord, I'm so grateful that we don't have to wait for later to know who Jesus Christ is. But he's there, he's in front of us, and he's before us. He is your appointed means for salvation. He is the only savior of the world. Lord, knowing this, may we walk in humility before you. May we walk in humility of others. Lord, may we never give in to the sins of racism or classism, but may we see that when Jesus Christ came, he makes one new, new people. And then may we live as a people of hope, knowing what your fulfilled promises mean for us today, but also what the promises yet to be fulfilled mean for us as we go forward. And if there's anyone here, Lord, who's not been yet serious about Jesus Christ, Lord, Simeon, as he held your son in his hand, spoke a word that has echoed down through the ages. We rise and we fall with who we understand Jesus to be. Lord, if there are any here today who are still under your wrath and under your judgment, Lord, who've not experienced the forgiveness that's found in Jesus, oh Lord, I pray that they would look to the Savior you have provided, that they would confess their need for him and receive the grace that you give. And for us, Lord, who know that grace, may we walk in it today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.